I'm Ariane Elfant, and this is Death the Podcast. Death may be defined as the destruction or permanent end of something. At Death the Podcast, we are looking closely at what happens when something ends. We listen, learn about, and discuss the stories that surround the subject of death. These stories bring up much more than feelings of fear and sadness. They offer opportunities for connection, for hope, and sometimes even for humor. Ultimately, if we are open to exploring death, we create greater potential to experience life. Today's episode was developed to honor and recognize National Healthcare Decisions Day. This is a day designed to educate and empower the public to make decisions about their wishes for end-of-life care. In honor of this day, two like-minded organizations, The Conversation Project and Death Over Dinner, teamed up for a week of inspired dinner parties where the taboo topic of death was the main course. This concept aligns so well with this podcast, and as a result, we wish to have our own recorded dinner during this week. My two guests were Monty Dawes and Robert LeBlanc, two shining stars in the restaurant world here in New Orleans. Before we listen in on our meal, I want to tell you a little bit about Monty and Robert. Monty is a native New Orleanian who was inspired to open up her first restaurant after traveling to Spain. She opened Tia Pole with friend Heather Bells in New York City in 2004. Monty's husband, Sean Josephs, also co-owns a restaurant in New York City, Maysville. Monty and Sean and their three young children moved back to New Orleans in 2014 and opened Kenton's this past October. Monty's homecoming has made the neighborhood and the city as a whole quite happy. Kenton's is beautiful, the food delicious, and there's a wonderful energy that she's a big part of. Thanks to Mani and Sean, our podcast was recorded at Kenton's, and we were well-fed and hydrated. There are probably few foodies who love New Orleans who don't know of Robert LeBlanc. Robert's family on both sides have been in New Orleans dating back hundreds of years. Robert lives here with his wife, Danielle, and their two young sons. Robert's company, LeBlanc & Smith, runs a collection of restaurants and bars, including Sylvain, Mobar, Barrel Proof, and The Newest Cabin. For those of you who have not yet been to Cabin, the atmosphere, the food, and the drinks are all pretty remarkable. It was also just listed in Zagat as one of New Orleans' 10 hottest restaurants. Robert and Monty are both young, vibrant, and successful. As I mentioned, they also have spouses and children. While the subject of dinner is one they both probably spend a lot of time thinking about, my guess was that at this point in their lives and careers, death was not at the forefront. But as it turned out, they were my perfect guests. So I'll start by asking each of you to raise a glass to someone who's no longer with us, someone you admire deeply, and share why you admire them. And I will start with you, Robert. I would like to raise my glass. There, you know, there's several people. I, I think when I was younger, death affected me more than it affected a lot of people, I think I have a certain empathy or a heightened sense of sensitivity to losing people. So it's hard to pick one. And it's not that I've suffered a tremendous amount of loss in my life or significant loss. Both my parents are still with us and healthy. I didn't really lose any close friends. But the one that was probably closest to me was my grandfather, um, to whom I looked up significantly. He was always larger than life and incredibly nice guy and incredibly gracious and one of the first people that I can remember vividly teaching me life experiences or teaching me values and lessons. Uh, my parents did a great job of that as well. Also, my grandfather was 
six eight and 270 pounds, just a big guy, and it just seemed to be more impactful coming from him. And when I was a sophomore in college, he, when I was a senior in high school, he was diagnosed with cancer, and he was back and forth from Los Angeles getting treatments. And I was a little in the dark as to what his condition was. Uh, my freshman year, I chose to come to school here at Loyola New Orleans to be closer to him and my grandmother. But I uh, had a great time with him freshman year and couldn't really tell anything. There was no noticeable signs of it. And then my sophomore year, he uh, declined rather quickly and went into the hospital, I think, in September. And I used to go and see him as much as I could two or three times a week. And he passed away December, 28, December 30th of 1996. And that was the one that probably impacted me the most because I got to this was literally my hero, larger than life, literally and figuratively, and um, to slowly watch him wither away and to spend time with him through that, that's, as a 19-year-old, that was incredibly impressionable. So I'd like to raise my glass to him. He still informs who I am today very much, and there's a lot that I do that I, I learned from him that I try to impart on my children. He sounds amazing. He was, he was, he was awesome. He was fun. He's a good guy. All right, well, let's raise a glass to him. What, what is his name? His name is Mike Smith. Mike Smith. Mike Smith. Mike, Mike Smith. Samani, so who would you like to raise a glass to? Um, I would like to raise a glass to um, my aunt on my mother's side, my mother's sister, Amelie. Um, we share a name. My middle name is Amelie. My daughter is Marie Amelie. Um, and she was a huge part of my life growing up. She um, was diagnosed with early Alzheimer's um, and died when she was 60 um, and had a long, um, difficult battle um, with the disease. But um, she was always maintained her um, incredible, wicked sense of humor. And um, she, my mother's one of three girls, and um, she was a middle child. And she was always, um, she was kind of like the, the peacemaker in the family and um, she was the one who um, more than anything in life she kind of taught me how to have fun in a way not that you have to teach someone to have fun but um, visiting her and spending time with her was um, always um, a joyful experience um, she made my mother laugh more than anyone um, I've ever known in my life and um, she was just a delight um, and I adored her, and uh, yeah, that's who I'd like to raise my glass to. She sounds amazing. <laughs> Amelie. Amelie. Do you want to renegotiate things on the plate? We just got <laughs> we just got served all this beautiful food. I know. I uh, think we should just pass around, yeah, or whatever you all want to do. So regret is an ugly feeling. Yes. If you were informed that you would die in one month, what would be your first response? How do you think you would feel? What would you do with your final 30 days? I would probably cry. Um, I mean, my first, yeah, I don't know. I guess um, I, once the shock world, if I imagine I would be um, upset and want to surround myself with my loved ones and tell them. But, um, well, I don't know if the, my first response would be tell them. I would probably need some time to process it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I th I think I would. Uh, yeah, I think I would cry. <laughs> um, and I would. Um, I think I would. My last thirty days. Um, I would just want 
to be surrounded with um, my loved ones, my kids and my um, family and friends. Um, I think I would want to um, maybe do a little bit of travel. I mean, 30 days is not a lot of time. Um, see some things, but with the people that I love um, and it share some um, new experiences and um, not spend too much time thinking um, about the fact that I land 30 days. Yeah. Yeah, that's about it, I think. I, I, I think I'd be pissed. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I have this, you know, I have this naivete in life that I'm going to live forever. And I know that that's not really true, but I think it, it, it helps me approach every day with optimism. Um, so I really do. I think I'd be, like, I'd be upset. I'd be grateful for the – I think I've been very blessed in these past 38 years. Um, but I'd probably be upset that I didn't get a chance to do more a little bit. And that's, I know that's selfish. I know that's not – it's probably not the PC answer, but that's, I'm just, that's, that's the truth. But I, I don't know that I'd, I'd have a ton of regret other than particularly having kids now, I, I – move into and out of these states of consciousness about being very grateful for things. And it's easy to get caught up and money and I's business can be a hard business at times. It requires a lot of work, requires, requires a lot of attention and it requires giving a lot of emotion to a lot of people, both your team and your guests. And you get, you kind of get sucked into that a little bit. And I, I look at, sometimes I look at these two or three week blocks where I didn't really feel grateful about things every day. And so I think regret would be, not having enough weeks or months stacked together, which were completely about being grateful for where I am. And I'm still struggling with that. I still force myself every morning to think about things that I'm grateful for today. The first thing I do every day is. So that would probably be a big regret, but I haven't had a chance to master that yet. Uh, as far as spending the last 30 days, you know, it, it, it's hard to say unless you've been through that, but I'd like to think that I'd have a dinner party every night I'd like to think that I would just go out on a high note. I'd like to think that Axel would let me sing weed. <laughs> or Welcome to the Jungle for one of their shows. Um, I th I'd like to think that I, could, I would have the courage to celebrate those last 30 days with all the friends and all the family that I love. And there is a lot to be grateful for. And I do feel like if someone called after I got pissed, I would realize that I've had a very blessed first 38 years and you know that's that's all you can ask for. Mm -hmm. What I didn't tell people in our intro is despite the fact that Monty and Robert are two of the busiest people I know I gave them all this homework to prepare for this dinner and just to get in the mindset of the topic itself and um even though neither of them said this is the weirdest thing ever, um, <laughs> I think in my head I felt like I wanted some sort of perspective about what we might they might be walking into. So one of the things that I asked them to listen to was um, Steve Jobs' commencement speech. So here he is talking to Stanford graduates about all the opportunities that are going to be afforded to them, and that um, but that he talks actually a great deal about death and. Mm -hmm. in his speech, but in a really beautiful way. So I'm paraphrasing here some of the things he says, but I, I'm going to throw them out. Um, no one wants to die, but yet death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it, and that is as it should be, because death is very likely the single best invention of life. It's life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for the new. Right now, the new is you. 
Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. And I'm wondering for y'all what those words might mean. And really, if there was any part of the speech, but for me, those things that he said really stuck out. And I also loved how he said at the end, um, stay hungry, stay foolish. Um, I was just like, oh, yes, of course. Like, I felt like that was, um, it was amazing to me that he actually, that he said that. But I love, I mean, I just love the, I mean, I understand the hungry part, but I love the foolish part because it's, um, you know, um, it's such a great way to kind of send recent graduates off into the world because they're trying not to be foolish. Um, but he's encouraging them to be foolish. I thought that was amazing. Yeah, that the two aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. Yeah. You responded to something in that. Stay hungry, stay foolish. Yeah, oh, I'm like, wow. That's <laughs> every day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Danielle, will you watch this, please? <laughs> I thought it was powerful because he was speaking to, you know, so I, my all college graduates probably have social pressures on what they should be doing parental pressures on what they should be doing and when those are graduates of a top five school in the country and all the things that their parents sacrificed and they've had to sacrifice to probably make it through that program for him to tell those kids to basically do the exact opposite of what 99 mm -hmm. percent of them were probably doing which is take the best job based on what people say pursue the career field that my parents or my advisors think that I should pursue. I thought that was really bold of him, really brave. One of the things that, or the thing that I thought was really interesting was how he talked about developing a philosophy on how you approach life. No matter what your situation is, he talked about finding something that you're really passionate about mm -hmm. so that you can do it excellently. He spoke, he talked about his own life circumstances, which are pretty tough life circumstances, uh, all the way from his biological mother giving him up for adoption and then trying to back out of it with his real parents because they didn't have college degrees to I just thought that was a tremendous experience but his approach to that was if you just trust your instincts and you follow your heart and do what makes you happy you will have a fulfilled life and you will do excellent work and that excellent work is not always defined the way that it's traditionally defined by status or power or wealth or professional success it could be being an amazing friend to someone it could be being an amazing mentor to someone, it can be being an amazing parent, an amazing child. And I thought that was pretty profound mm -hmm. for him to talk to a bunch of kids who were probably some of the most talented kids in the country who had collectively paid about $250,000 over the last four years to go to school about letting all that go and just following your instincts and trusting your heart. And I do think that's a really sanguine way to approach your life in the context of death. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, it's, it's, it's very haunting because he gave that speech when he was in remission or he was okay or he thought he was okay. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that long thereafter where he got re-diagnosed and it yeah. was a pretty pretty quick decline for him after that speech. So it's, it's kind of a profound statement if you put it in the context of what actually happened to him as well. I was yeah. thinking about that as well yeah. as I was watching it. Same, you know? same. Um, because the wisdom in what he said actually fits so well with what ended up happening. And of course, yeah. he didn't know how that was gonna go down. Um, to leave that for us, I mean, he left so much, but um, to leave, to language that in that way. Yeah. And I think so many commencement speeches are all about beginnings, but um, I appreciate that he talked about, he talked about beginnings, but he also talked about endings. 
I wonder for you guys in such a like risky industry in a city that like is all about food. Um, I don't know. I thought of the two of you since we were going to be doing this when I was when I was listening to it, just because everybody is always talking about what you're doing, but also they're talking about what you're not doing. Um, and I think feel like he touched on that in people that just didn't believe in him. I love that. I mean, I think he even mentioned used the word failure when he was talking about you know being fired and mm -hmm. um, it, and. Um, it's amazing to me that someone at, with everything that he's achieved in his life was able to talk about that as, um, as such a positive. I mean, mm -hmm. just that was incredible. And res I mean, it resonated with me as well because, um, you know, we've, um, I'm sure we've all experienced, you know, we experience failure on a, on a daily basis. You know, you, we fail our guests like it, it happens um and um you know it's, it's it can be it can feel very devastating um in the moment and then you have you know the larger failures which is a, a business that just isn't working um and how to um you know i, I don't know if you've had this experience but um you know we've had to close um two businesses and um and just moving on from that and um taking those lessons the lessons of you know um that are really more about um, how can you apply um, that failure to your current success. So how can you say like, and it, it, it I do think it makes you um, afraid, and I think um, kind of Robert touched on a little bit. Like, I mean, the fear is essential. You have to um, you have to be a little bit afraid, and you have to um, you can't take anything lightly. You know, um, one upset guest is. Um, too many you know do you know what mm -hmm, I mean mm -hmm. um, and it's just uh, um, or staff issues anything that um, that contributes to um, the the um, imbalance of a restaurant which if um, you know if you're in your restaurants you feel right away you walk in the door you feel that imbalance and um, it's pretty profound so you kind of have to go figure out how to go about um, you know writing the ship and um, putting everything back in its place but we had a, our restaurant, St. Marie, failed in pretty public fashion and over like four years. And it was, you know, I, I used to have, or I hope I still do, but I used to really strong work ethic and I genuinely thought I could outwork any problem. Mm -hmm. And this restaurant was the one that we opened after Sylvain and in hindsight it was too much too soon. I didn't have enough experience. I didn't, I wasn't cut out to do it. And I literally just thought that I could outwork any problems or any issues and um, it didn't really go well in the first couple of years and then I just stuck with it and stuck with it and was refused to kind of tap out or to, to look at it as though it was a failure and we did eventually make it a, a pretty good qualitative restaurant but at that point the time was already spent and we um, we had to we moved that team to Mobar and now Mobar I'm very proud of it and it's a great restaurant but St. Marie was heartbreaking for me I mean it put me out for like a year in terms of how I felt about self-confidence how I felt about capability and having time and space that's really where I learned how to run restaurants and bars you know the ones that were successful that went well um, were as much a function of place and time as it was mm -hmm. any of my abilities we just you, kind of that quintessentially right place right time you get lucky and so 
in hindsight, I'm very grateful that will be the most formative experience of my career. And it failed, and it was through death. And I didn't really think about that in the macro sense of what it means to my career now until you listen to him talk about getting fired from Apple, which was essentially him failing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's like that death breathes life into, right. into what yeah, you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. And that probably saved my life, too, to be honest. I mean, I'm, I'm very proud of how much time I spend with my family and friends. I'm very proud of what we do professionally. I can relate to Monty very well, very closely in terms of spending time with staff and seeing them grow. That's really what drives her. That's what drives us. That's what drives me. And um, I was different before then. I wasn't I wasn't an ego guy or I wasn't arrogant. I just genuinely thought that I could do it all. Yeah. I thought I could just work harder and fix it. And if I just, and it just it, it would have wrecked me, it would have ruined me. So, through that experience, which was death of a business and failure, I've been given this life that I'm very grateful for and I'm very happy and have a, you know, just think I'm very blessed. But it was because of that loss, that failure. Yeah. Thanks for that. Thank you. <laughs> As I said in my intro, I do not imagine that the next thing I'm going to ask is probably something that y'all have thought a lot about of, but you might have. I don't want to project something that may not be true. But you are both young and I feel very much in the height of of your lives and I am um, hopeful have lots and lots of time ahead but if you could think about how you would like how you if if you got to write it out how you would like your own life to end I mean I think with modern medicine we're all gonna live to be 120 Mm -hmm. anyway right I mean so I'm hoping it's like 110 before (laughs) I lose my 110 faculties yeah right before just when i'm still vibrant enough to be able to like 90 more years (laughs) hopefully (laughs) hopefully um i hope it's i hope it's relatively painless but i hope it actually occurs over enough time that i get a chance to tell everybody how i felt about them so i know you typically would say i'd like to die in a car accident or like to die quick and painless i'd like to not know it's happening and there's a part of that that I think is novel and romantic, but I'd like, I'd like a couple of weeks to right any wrongs in my life or to let people know how, I think letting people know how I felt about them and how they impacted me and ha- affected my life positively is, is really important to me. And if I got a chance to do that, that would be how I'd like to go. I feel like you, you are going to write a lot of notes after this show. I'm, I mean, <laughs> I just, just I feel wiped like you off have, my calendar for the week. I feel like, I feel like you have a lot. I mean, I've been thinking about a lot. lot. I was intimidated to, to come on this, and I was like, but I've been thinking about it since two weeks ago. I mean, I've been thinking about a lot about, it's interesting. I mean, I know that the point of this series and this project is to get people to think about that, but it's, I think, a pretty profound social experiment that if everybody thought about their own death, how differently they'd live their life. It'd be pretty cool and yet you come across as somebody who is so gracious right in the moment i mean i don't know you very well and you've always been that way with me thank you like you're very you seem very connected i think um i appreciate you saying that i i think you know i had again as i said as a child you know one of the mentors one of my mentors on my swim team died in a car accident one of my high school football teammates uh died in a car accident i was really affected by death loudly there were not people who were wasn't a sibling and it wasn't a parent, um, but it affected me pretty profoundly. And I do think that was probably 
a great experience for me because I do, I don't, when, when people ask you regrets, I, mean, I don't have a lot of, I don't live my life with a lot of regret. I don't have a lot of things that I wish I would have tried that I didn't try. I don't have, I, I really feel like I've learned from those experiences to live every day to the fullest. And so I don't have those regrets. I think part of that is making sure that people know how much you appreciate what they do for you and what they mean to you in your life. And, you know, as sad as those experiences were for me, and um, I think it still affects me more profoundly than it affects my friends. Um, but I think that also helps me live my life a little bit more You pay, I mean, you, pay, you paid attention to those events. Mm -hmm. You know, put mm -hmm. them away in a compartment. Right. So, Monty, I know this is exactly <laughs> what you want to think about and exactly why you agreed to do this. <laughs> I, I, I knew it was coming. <laughs> um, I, I, I would want my death to be, to be um, pretty quick and painless. Um, I would also want the opportunity to say goodbye to the people I love. Um, and I don't know, I think, um, I don't think I live with a lot of regret, but I think I live with regret, um, about, you know, relationships. I think it's, um, you know, I think that, um, old friendships that, you know, that maybe came to an end, um, you know, or the, the people that I didn't stay in touch with. Um, I think that uh, it's not about righting any wrongs, but it's more about, um, uh, I, I would kind of like the opportunity to reach out. Uh, I think there are like a handful of people all that I would like to reach out to. Just to say like, I love you and um, goodbye, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, that whatever the falling out was or whatever that are, you know, um, I, I feel like it, I sound like I had all of these falling outs, but I think that, um, I think that, um, well, maybe just stuff that's unfinished. Yeah. Tying up loose ends a little bit, but, um, but I think that, um, as a younger person, I was, um, judgmental, more judgmental and, less forgiving in my relationships and I think that um I think that I lost some friendships along the way and I think that if um I live with a little bit of regret about that so I, I think I if I had the time I would like to go back and say um that was stupid and I love you <laughs> well you, ju you just said it I, I did you I guess I did I you that. just did oh, it that's a good point I can relate to that so I probably have to write half thank yous. <laughs> <laughs> half well, I mean, who can't relate to that if, if uh, he or she is being honest, right? I mean, we, we only have as much perspective as we have in the, in the moment. And I think part of, like, what's cool about getting older is that you see things in your rearview mirror differently. And, I mean, it sounds like what both of you are saying is you have an awareness of that sitting here now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can I put a question out there? Yes, please. <laughs> absolutely. Um, do y'all talk about death with your children? And have you in the, I mean, I, I was thinking about you because, um, you know, when Ariane approached us about this, uh, you know, I, I mean, um, I don't know about you, but I, well, it sounds like you also um, have been thinking a lot about death and, and what it would be like to have this conversation. But um, it's, it's gotten me thinking a lot about um, 
that discussion with my kids because um, I just run from it. At, you know, my daughter is now at the age where she wants to talk about death. Um, and earlier in the week, um, she said, what would you do if I died? And I was like, don't say that. Go to bed. <laughs> you know, I was, it was like exactly the, re- I, I didn't want to have that reaction, but I did. I was like, my life would be over. You know, I just, and I didn't know what to say and I found it really overwhelming. Yeah. And then um, I've been thinking a lot about um, the question that she asked me and um, I still don't know how to answer it, but I'm wondering if, um, if you've started having those conversations with your kids or if you have been, or if you did, have been recently because of what you're doing, um, and then you as well, Robert. I, no, we have not yet, and I, I think it's important. I think we probably need to. It's, um, I think some of that's fine in the context, um, and to put it in a manner, a situation that they can understand and appreciate. Uh, I actually think my my mom was a nurse, and in, in hindsight, thinking about the way that my mom. My mom actually talked to me about it, and it was scary. It was frightening as a child, but she was honest about it, and I think that's one of the reasons why maybe I appreciated that a little bit more when I was younger. So I do think it's important, but um, that's that's probably scarier than the birds and the bees, right? Mm-hmm. Talking about death. Um, well, it's I mean, it's hard to talk about something that we don't completely understand and um, and that most of us aren't welcoming. Um, children offer such a great opportunity because they just ask. And yeah. right. I mean, in a way, children are like, I wish you were my audience because there, there's nothing that's taboo for them. And yet something about uh, uh, as we start to grow up, of course, they start to sense from us that it's a taboo subject. Mm-hmm. I think that there's this instinct that we have that when um, our children ask these questions where it's like you it's like almost like inviting death into the room and it's um we want to push it away because we don't really want to invite death into a room with our kids um but there i was thinking this past week about it because i was i was um i was just wondering what would happen if I invited death into the, like, what would that mean? Like, what does that space feel like to invite, you know, what would it be like to invite death into the room and just be with it for a little while with my kids? Um, And when I thought about it um, in those terms, it felt, it felt like not as scary, but um, it's like death comes into the room and I'm like, oh no, there you go. We got to push you out. Goodbye. Um, well, the way you said it, the, f- the way you said it the first time is you made it a choice. Like you're inviting, you're inviting the topic. That's scary. <laughs> but whether we invite the topic or not, the, it's inevitable. Yes. I mean, it's the house guest that's going to be there no matter what. Sure. And the, the way that you framed it as a choice, and that's what kids naturally do. Kids naturally invite everything into the room. Like they just want to know um, what's going on, what's happening. And I mean, the, I, the whole idea behind this show, the whole idea behind these two organizations, um, Death Over Dinner and the Conversation Project, is to invite the subject rather than be right. surprised and scorned by the subject. You know, to be totally honest, which I know is dirty, the, the reason why I don't do that is completely selfish. Is I can't bear the thought of losing a child, mm-hmm. right? It's not really, the fear is not to contemplate what it's going to be like for them when I pass away. The yeah. fear is to contemplate what it's going to be like for me if they were to pass away. Mm-hmm. So thinking about it in that context, for me, I'm pretty selfish to not approach that. Yeah. 
Well, I'm not. It's well, that's for me, I, it's not for I them. didn't know how I didn't know how to answer that question. Yeah, mommy, what would you do if I died? And then I just I can I didn't have an answer for her. Like I just wanted to push the question away, and I did. Um, but I um, and I just haven't figured out a way to because the world I mean the world as you know it would end. Yeah. Um, because that's like a pain that's unfathomable that none of us would want to think about, and. And so we can understand why you wouldn't want to answer that question. It's like your heart expands and then breaks at the same time. Yeah. So in that light, <laughs> though, um, we actually... We Bartender. Can <laughs> <laughs> we make it a double? Can we get a double? Sorry. <laughs> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop for today. And, um, and thank you both so much. If, um, if you want to find out more about Monia Robert and the restaurants, check out the links provided on our website. Um, check out deathoverdinner.org and theconversationproject.org to design your own important meal to talk about the stuff that's hard to talk about. The show is produced by Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Jill Gross. This show was recorded by Brian Raybar. Our theme music, It Happened, is written by David Milling and is performed by David Milling and Charles Milling. To hear more of David's music, go to his website, davidmilling.com. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher or some other podcast app, if you can take a moment to rate and review us, that helps other people find us. You can find Death the Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or at deaththepodcast.com. Death the Podcast is a production of INO Broadcasting. Labor Day signals the unofficial end of summer, but not the end of your outdoor projects. Lowe's helps you do it right and helps you save with Labor Day deals throughout the store. Shop now and get two bags of Stay Green Potty Mix for $12. And keep your lawn looking neat and trim with a Craftsman 2-Cycle 17-inch gas string trimmer now $20 off at just $119. Whatever's still on your to-do list this Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 828. Soil offer excludes Alaska and Hawaii, U.S. only.